0: This is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today, I have the great pleasure and honor of speaking with Professor Sandro Pignata, who is at the Instituto Nazionale Tumori in Naples, Italy. And he recently uh, published a very important Phase 3 trial titled Carboplatin-Based Doublet Plus Bevacizumab Beyond Progression, versus carboplatin-based doublet alone in patients with platinum-sensitive ovarian cancer, a randomized phase 3 trial in Lancet Oncology. So welcome, Sandro. It's absolutely a pleasure to uh, speak with you.
1: Thank you, Pedro. Thank you for inviting me to to this
0: uh, podcast. Thank you. Of course, of course. So I wanted to um, uh, obviously start by, you know, certainly one of the key questions for many oncologist is whether to continue um, bevacizumab in patients with recurrent ovarian cancer after having undergone treatment with first-line platinum therapy, including bevacizumab. And uh, as our audience knows, uh, OCEANS and uh, GOG-213 trials supported the use of bevacizumab in patients with uh, recurrent platinum-sensitive ovarian cancer. So this phase three uh, trial targets that uh, that's a specific question. So I was wondering if you we can start by having you tell us as to what was the rationale for putting this trial together and also what was known about bevacizumab and ovarian cancer when the trial was designed, I believe, back in 2012.
1: Yes, Pedro. Um, when we planned this trial, the MITO-16B, uh, we were aware of the results of the first line trials, the GOG-218 and ICON-7, showing uh, an increase in PFS for the uh, addiction of uh, bevacizumab to, to standard chemotherapy. And also uh, the, the results of the OCEAN trial were public with uh, the benefit uh, uh, when bevacizumab was added to carboplatin gencitabin. At that time, GEOG213 was uh, uh, was ongoing, so we we, we didn't have uh, the results yet. Mm-hmm. So the question um, at that time was, uh, since we had uh, uh, significant results showing uh, efficacy of, bene- of the but both in first line and recurrence, so two possible indications, uh, there was no data available um, evaluating if a patient that uh, has, uh, has been treated with Belacidumab during first line when required and the required again chemotherapy can benefit from receiving uh, Belacidumab again. So this was the rationale of Mito-16 at that time.
0: Okay. And when uh, you planned for the study, you had uh, two arms of the, of the trial. What were the treatments uh, Used in each arm
1: yes the uh, the the chemotherapy backbone of the trial um, was uh, planned to include all the three uh, chemotherapy uh, schedules that uh, were used to to be uh, in uh, used in the clinical practice at that time, so uh, carboplatin segulated liposomal doxorubicin, that was one of the favorite uh, chemotherapy schedules, at least in Europe, mm-hmm. or carboplatin-paclitaxel or carboplatin mean That was the, uh, the um, combination that uh, had been already investigated in combination with that. So we decided to uh, leave this decision to the center mm-hmm. and to stratify... Uh, the patients at time of randomization for the time of chemotherapy received.
0: Okay, and w- you looked at uh, your primary objective as being what?
1: The primary objective was uh, progression-free survival, and uh, uh, the, the statistical hi- hypothesis was based on uh, the results of the ocean trial. So we, mm-hmm. we planned the same uh, difference uh, in terms of efficacy for adding the bevacitum of the versus control. And uh, the design was absolutely identical to that of the ocean trial.
0: Okay. And uh, in looking at the trial design, um, was there any uh, interim analysis put into the design?
1: No, it was not planned. Um, I remember there was... Uh, a uh, lot of discussion with uh, our statisticians on, on the need uh, of having an interim analysis uh, during the trial. Uh, anyway, it, it was not planned and uh, it has not been done. So, yeah. what is reported in uh, in the Lancet uh, report is uh, uh, the the first analysis that uh, has been done and presented for the first time, a task a couple of years ago.
0: Okay. Um, and one of the other things also that uh, was uh, being discussed uh, recently was um, in terms of the, the follow-up evaluations of the of the patients, I understand that uh, patients were having ultrasounds every three cycles and either a CT or an MRI every six cycles. Um, you know, certainly, particularly the, the interjection of the ultrasounds in some centers, this may not be standard. And was wondering if you had any thoughts as to how this could have impacted uh, the trial, particularly if there was any suspicion that there was uh, any recurrences?
1: Well, of course, uh, ultrasound is not standard every way, Uh, although I have to say that it's very popular in my country. Uh, But uh, uh, there was also another measure uh, for uh, following up the patient that was CA-125. So the Uh, the increase in the uh, CA-125 could prompt the execution of another CT or MRI, if needed, uh, independently from the the schedule uh, every six cycles. So I don't believe this uh, had a significant impact on the outcome of the study. I think randomization uh, has well balanced the patients, uh, even in terms of... uh, uh, examination that have been done during the
0: study. Mm-hmm. So then, now uh, at the conclusion of the study, I believe it went from 2013 to 2016. Uh, I think 406 patients recruited to the bevacizumab group and 203 to the standard chemotherapy group. So, uh, what were the main findings of uh, of the study? What was the uh, the, the obviously the the take home message?
1: Yes, our results show that uh, um, the um, adding bevacizumab to the chemotherapy backbone uh, is able to increase progression-free survival um, uh, even in patients that ha- uh, have received bevacizumab during first line. I-, I think the the magnitude of the effect we show as in uh, in PFS is very similar. So that's obtained by the OSEAN uh, trial in patients' uh, uh, bevacitimum Beva- Beva- naïve. I think what is interesting from our study, mm, uh, it's particularly interesting for me on a biological point of view, is that uh, uh, all the patients uh, uh, get uh, benefit um, uh, The patients... Uh, that recovered uh, after the, the end of the maintenance of first line bed but also the patients progressing during uh, mm. the maintenance bed and receiving a bell again uh, get the same result so this, this means in my view that uh, the mechanism of resistance to the are quite different compared to to those we we uh, observe with the standard chemotherapy or or other uh, therapies like PARP inhibition. So it it is maybe not a clonal uh, expansion of resistant cells. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so it's quite different. I think this data is interesting and uh, reinforces the the possibility that we can use the belacidum several times over the clinical course of the disease.
0: And, and I think it's natural to obviously ask, and, and I wonder if you have any insight into this. You know, obviously you mentioned that there were several different regimens that could be used. Uh, I think, you know, many oncologists would ask, well, did you see a particular group, be it the uh be it the carbogemzar, or the carboliposomal doxorubicin, where it was best to add bevacizumab? In, in other words, of those three Which one was the best when uh, adding bevacizumab to those?
1: Well, I have to say that from our study, I think it's hard to say that uh, one of these chemotherapies is better than the other. And uh, at that time, in particular, we were not aware of the results of the carboplatin-pegulated liposomal doxorubicin. So, I think from METO-16D, we cannot say that one is better. Mm. But based on the results of the following studies, I think the, the carboplatin, pegylated liposomal, doxorubicin has, has significant advantages uh, compared to carboplatin gen, uh, mm. at least. So I think um, in our country, is the preferred uh, backbone chemotherapy to be combined with the
0: yeah, I agree and I think that also mimics uh, our practice here in the US. Now, Sandra, one of the other questions and I think obviously it's only natural that this comes up, um is the issue of BRCA mutational status. And and I understand you you did a post hoc analysis on patients with BRCA mutations. Um was wondering if you can tell us um how many patients had mutations in each group and what were their findings? Yes,
1: um, uh, first of all, as you underlined, this it, it was not only a, a exploratory and post hoc because when we started in um, 2012, it was not so uh, frequent to test the BRCA mutation for all the patients as it is now. Uh, mm-hmm. At that time, I think just a proportion of the patients received the testing uh, BRCA testing. Um, in in our study, uh, we get this information uh, uh, retrospectively, and uh, we had this information in 60% of the patient enrolled, And uh, among the patients with known BRCA status, we found around 20% of the patients in both arms with BRCA mutation. Mm. But I have uh, underline need to underline again that we just checked from germline mutation because. Uh, Uh, At that time, BRCA somatic uh, uh, tests were were not available in our country. So it is possible that that, uh, there is a proportion of somatic mutations that uh, were uh, lost uh, from this uh, analysis. Anyway, nonetheless, we decided to public it because I think it's uh, one of the most interesting new data uh, suggesting that the patients with BRCA mutation benefit less. Uh, mm-hmm. Or nothing uh, from the additional of the This can have an impact uh, when we think to the actual algorithm of therapy uh, based on part in first line and so on.
0: So, now moving forward uh, with regards to obviously the next question is uh, safety. And um, obviously, we're always interested, particularly when we're adding additional treatments to. Um, uh, chemotherapy regimens, uh, the toxicity profile. Uh, was it the same in both groups with or without bevacizumab?
1: Well, uh, uh, as expected, hypertension was the mo- most frequent uh, uh, side effect. There was uh, some more hypertension compared to the pivotal uh, first-line trials and uh, also to the, the first uh, uh, trials in platinum intensity. Anyway, I have to say, now, having had uh, so long uh, experience in terms of uh, uh, toxicity related to bevacitumab, that overall now hypertension should be considered uh, manageable. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't see anything unexpected uh, uh, suggesting that was a cumulative toxicity by the use of bevacitrum. So we, we did not observe this.
0: And as you look at the uh, at the data and and look at uh, and certainly how to how to evaluate move this forward, um, anything that we can say about uh, the the process of resistance to anti angiogenesis drugs from from these uh, results? Uh, I think uh, uh, two uh,
1: things should be pointed out. The first uh, I um, anticipated before, so. Uh, Also, the patients progressing during the bevacizumab maintenance benefit when bevacizumab is added again to chemotherapy. This means that uh, it's not a classical uh, uh, mechanism of resistance as for chemotherapy that... uh, um, um, come during during the therapy. And the second is that uh, uh, it's likely that there is some synergism between chemotherapy and the bevacitrum. So when the patient progresses during the of single agent and receives the combination they benefit again. So the, it's very likely uh, that there is uh, a synergism. Yeah. The second point I think should be underlined, uh, even this I think is very important in the actual scenario of therapy um, uh, 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 with difference compared to uh, chemotherapy uh, and to part inhibition, for example, where uh, the, there may be cross-resistance between the, these two classes of drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of uh, uh, Bevacizumab, when we compare the response rate to chemotherapy, and uh, uh, in patients pre-treated with uh, um, belacidrumab, uh, the, the, the response rate is uh, uh, what, what in, the, in the range of what is expected. So it seems that belacidrumab do not uh, increase the resistance to other chemotherapy agents. There is no cross-resistance between anti and chemotherapy. And this is not the case for parties, as you know. And probably this could be important in deciding uh, our new sequences of, of therapy.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because obviously that's a, that's an important point that often is not highlighted. So thank you for, for uh, uh, stressing that. Now, uh, this next question came, comes to us from one of our uh, um, uh, fellows in the, uh, in the journal. Uh, and uh, their question is, uh, there was increased frequency of adverse uh, events and hospitalizations in the Bevacizumab group. Um, and certainly there was uh, no uh, quality of life assessment. Um, Do you think, and obviously I think this is a speculation, but do you think uh, the increase in adverse events in the uh, bevacizumab group, particularly hospitalizations, may have impacted quality of life outcomes if these had been measured? Well, uh, first of all, I want
1: to explain why we decided to not have also quality of life. Because uh, this was... uh, a, an heavy trial for us, this is an academic trial, it was very heavy because there the is a, a, a very uh, strong translational component with a, a number of uh, samples taken uh, before and during the therapy. So it, it was considered at that time that quality of life uh, had uh, already been investigated in, in almost all the trials with Bevacizumab. The data was quite clear and uh, so we prefer to develop the translational path instead of the quality of life. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't think that the increase in uh, toxic events recorded in our uh, trial can significantly impact the quality of life. Of course, we have no, I have no data to, to support this my view. But I have, we have a, a, a very long experience with the vaccine. We see that... Uh, um, or in general, is is well uh, um, is well tolerated. There is one side effect we have recently published in in the journal mm-hmm. that uh, uh, often is not um, recorded fully. That is the the appearance of Astralgia, astralgia may limit quality of life because uh, this articular pain uh, may have an impact on the on the function. Um, but um our data is retrospective, and also in the middle, when we did have the mitocytine b mm-hmm. didn 't realize the importance of these symptoms, so this was not uh, uh, properly studied in, uh, prospectively. I think it's the the most uh, important uh, side effect affecting quality of life in patients treated with benzuma
0: very well, so now. Uh, We get into another important question, particularly impacting this same patient population, the issue of secondary cytoreductive surgery. Uh, We had the results of GOG 213 published already in New England Journal of Medicine. We are awaiting the results of the Desktop 3 publication. Um, So the next question is, um, how do you you feel the results of your study were impacted by the impact of uh, secondary cytoreductive uh, surgery? And also, if you can comment as to your concerns with bevacizumab after secondary cytoreductive surgery, dealing with, obviously, the risk of wound healing and fistulas and perforations. Yes. At at that
1: time, uh, um, uh, secondary cytoreductive surgery was was not very common in uh, in my country um, because there there were not enough data, even if important centers already uh, performed secondary surgery. Uh, I, I, of course, after the desktop experience in Europe, the the number of patients that received secondary surgery is increased. Uh, in the trial, uh, secondary surgery was allowed, provided that there was a, a residual disease after secondary surgery and uh, the proportion of patients treated uh, after secondary surgery was, if I remember well, around 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't record any um, significant set of uh, uh, surgical adverse events, uh, nor in the Nito 16 b uh, nor in uh, other trials we have performed, provided that the the number of weeks before and after surgery are respected, So we, we avoid to, to um, administer again the if the treatment starts again after surgery before four weeks. Uh, but I think if uh, um, we respect this uh, uh, caution, uh, the number of uh, um, events is,
0: uh, is very small. So you did note uh, that there was a benefit of uh, adding bevacizumab in terms of disease-free survival. Uh, I believe there was no difference in overall survival. Um, what? Why do you think that might be the case?
1: Well, the, none of the, of the bevacizumab trial in first line or recurrence has shown overall survival. This, of course, may mean that uh, targeting uh, angiogenesis uh, it's an important target, but not uh, uh, strong enough to improve uh, survival with a drug like Bevacizumab. However, we have to say that uh, uh, even the patients in the recurrent setting, this was the first uh, platinum-sensitive recurrence, have a, a number of uh, later opportunities for therapy. And so the effect in terms of overall survival is hard to be seen in general mm-hmm. in ovarian cancer, even with the with the party that are uh, uh, extraordinarily uh, uh, active drugs, for example, in the solo two, we saw uh, some overall survival benefits, but not such a big difference as expected. Because uh, I think the post-progression treatment uh, dilute the, the effect on on overall survival.
0: Yeah. So then you also mentioned uh, the the role of PARPs, and of course that that drives that uh, uh, the next few questions. Um, There's an ongoing trial, the OREO-NGOT trial. uh, It's a retreatment with maintenance PARP in platinum-sensitive ovarian cancer uh, patients who've been treated, I believe, in first line with PARPs. Um, Do do you think these results for Bevacizumab could be applied in in subsequent lines of second, third line, platinum-sensitive patients? Yes, I believe uh,
1: these Personally, uh, I think that the real uh, strategy will be applicable just in a minority of, uh, of patients, because what I see in my practice is that the majority of the patients that uh, are treated uh, with PARP in first line or second line become resistant to chemotherapy. So cannot receive uh, an effective um, platinum chemotherapy gain or do not respond to this and uh, in the majority of the cases, uh, cannot be treated uh, with uh, a party again. So I believe uh, in the correct sequence in this moment for patients that receive a party first line is to receive uh, a chemo uh, therapy. And uh, I think, based on newer results, that also the patient that receive a bad party combination in first line may receive again a, a combination of chemo and BEL. I think our trials support this even if uh, uh, of course at that time there were no uh, patients treated with PARP in first line.
0: Yeah. And, and Sandro, and knowing obviously in the current scenario with the outcomes of Paola and Prima and the, and the MITO studies, um, in, in your opinion, the best sequence for maintenance therapy in HRD proficient patients, um, would you say starting with PARP or uh, Bevacizumab?
1: You know uh, the question is m- m- mainly for the uh, HR proficient patients. Well, we have discordant results uh, between the the power one and prima. Personally, I believe that the, the proficient patients um, benefit uh, uh, very few from the addition of, of the uh, parties. So, um, unfortunately, the, the homologous recombination deficiency test is not commonly available in our clinical practice. But when it will be available, I would like to test the patients. So and for the proficient, uh, my preference would be to to give better a Yeah.
0: So now, Sandra, one of the things I always uh, ask our um, uh, speakers in the in the podcast is, you know, obviously. We, we, we read your, your manuscript and uh, we go through the details of the study, but one question I always ask is, in your practice, a patient comes to see you tomorrow, um, platinum-sensitive, recurrent disease, um, what, is, what is your discussion with that patient as to what would be the best strategy for her? And if she says to you, doctor, you pick my treatment, what would you say?
1: I think uh, there are uh, enough data today uh, to say that uh, when a patient have uh, an effective secondary cytoreduction and uh, uh, there is no disease, I think these are the best patients that can benefit from the additional a inhibitor. And so, in my preference, when there is a secondary cytoreduction and the patients are without residual disease, disease, I would like to to administer chemo uh, and PAPI. Uh, on the other hand, when the patients uh, are not operated uh, or the, the surgery is not uh, um, completely, um, there's no complete resection, I think that the combination of pulpy and BEL, or BEL alone, uh, depending on the type of patient, is, is of preference. I would like to maintain... Uh, our first impression that that is
0: particularly effective when there is a residual disease and an high burden of disease. Well, Sandra, thank you so, so much for your time. Uh, I really always obviously learned uh, a great deal from you. And uh, once again, congratulations on uh, uh, this uh, achievement. Congratulations on your uh, publication. And, uh, and thank you for your contributions to Gynecologic Oncology and all women with uh, gynecologic cancers. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Pedro. Thank you for this opportunity.